Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie East, and this, this is the Sunday In today's episode, AI brings new life to deceased actors, a Spanish company's on a mission to make beer sustainable, and why ASMR makes you tingle. But first, it was on this day in 1943 that Swiss scientist Dr. Albert Hoffman discovered the psychedelic effects of LSD. Trippy. Ladies and gentlemen, your Artemis II crew. Earlier this month, NASA named the four astronauts who will fly around the moon in 2024. The Artemis II mission will take them further into space than any other human has ever been before, where they'll spend 10 days going around the moon, helping NASA pinpoint exactly where the next moon crew should land in 2025. When I was young, I had a poster of the Earthrise picture, the famous picture that was taken on Apollo 8. And the fact that it was a human behind the lens that made that picture so profound and changed how we all thought of our own home was so amazing to me. That was Christina Koch, the first female astronaut selected for a moon mission. Space exploration's dirty work. When the Apollo 11 mission first landed humans on the moon in 1969, moon soil, also known as lunar regolith, became a big issue. You see, moon dust is deceptive. On Earth, natural processes like wind and water soften and round soil particles, but the moon, well, it doesn't have that. This is Don Barker, the NASA suit architecturally. Lunar regolith, it looks like it's its just a, a fine-grained material when you, when you see the pictures of the Apollo boots in it and stuff. But uh, you're going to see anywhere from broken rock shapes to fractured glass shapes. That's what it looks like under the microscope, of a, such a small particle size range that it gets in everything. The lunar dust is so abrasive, it can actually eat away layers of the astronaut's boots and the vacuum seals of the sample containers. It's even caused physical reactions similar to hay fever. Now, the suits for those missions only needed to last for a few moonwalks, but the next missions to the moon and Mars could be weeks, months, or even years long. That means astronauts will need more complex solutions. Some of the biggest environmental challenges that we're seeing is finding a balance between mobility and lunar dust. This is Maria Flores Daly, who also works on spacesuits at NASA. Whether we put a protective layer, whether we are able to charge the suit to repel dust. There are multiple things that we're looking at, so we still have a lot of challenges and work. AI is stealing jobs left, right and centre these days and no industry is safe. Now, the next frontier for AI audiobook narration means celebrities can now offer their voice services from beyond the grave. Companies like DeepZen are taking real voices of actors and narrators and using AI to create new content with synthetic voices that sound just like the real thing. 
Among Deep Zen's offerings is Gilmore Girls actor Edward Herman. With the permission of his family, Edward's lending his voice to a new audiobook even after his death nine years ago. The technology uses previous recordings of a voice actor to guess how that person would speak. Here's Edward narrating a book by Thomas Jefferson. Disorder, which Jefferson hated, threatened harmony, which he loved. And here is Edward's synthetic voice. Disorder, which Jefferson hated, threatened harmony, which he loved. And with the help of Deep Zen, this voice is coming from beyond. Tail and Karmis is their CEO. What if we license his voice and bring his voice back to life and use it for um, different projects, starting with like audiobooks, dubbing, and kind of like uh, bring his legacy uh, back to life. It's an advancement that professional narrator Tanya Evie says is already having an impact. I think, honestly, it's a real threat. Five years ago, it was a thing of the future. And then the future suddenly happened within like the last six months. And it's been really crazy. Uh, My work is down about 50%. um, And I've been in the business for 20 years. But with her experience, Tanya says the job that AI does just isn't quite the same. I've tried listening to AI. I am trying to be open to technology and like go with it. And what happens is for the first few minutes, it sounds right. Um, And then you notice that your mind starts drifting. So whatever that magical quality of storytelling with a human telling a story to another human is lost with computers. But watch out, Tanya, the tech is improving quickly and Deep Zen CEO is optimistic about its impact. AI is going to play a key role expanding the content, making it available to the masses if it is used in the right way. Still to come on the Sunday 7, why whales don't get cancer and hydroponic hops. Right now, scientists are honing in on one of medicine's most baffling mysteries. Why some species avoid getting cancer. Whales and elephants tend to have low rates of cancer, but it's the leading cause of death for dogs and cats. Foxes and leopards are also susceptible, while sheep and antelopes are not. Even more perplexing is the fact that many large animals often avoid cancer completely, despite the fact that they should be theoretically vulnerable due to their large number of cells. This is called Pito's Paradox. It's part of what scientist Alex Kagan's been researching at the Wellcome Sanger Institute. So Pito's Paradox is central to our research. It's this observation that if you look across the animal kingdom, the size of an organism does not seem to correlate with its risk of cancer. And everything we know about cancer in humans suggests that the larger an organism gets and the longer it lives, the higher its risk of cancer should be because larger organisms have more cells and the more cells you have, the higher the risk that one of them could transform into a cancer cell. But when we look across the animal kingdom, we don't see that correlation. So large animals like blue whales or elephants don't seem to have a higher risk of cancer. And so what that suggests to us is that these larger, longer-lived species must have evolved some superior mechanisms of cancer resistance. And one of those mechanisms that we speculate about would be that they might have better mechanisms for protecting or repairing their DNA. So how are you and your fellow researchers exploring this paradox? We worked with London Zoo and some other partners around the UK, and we collected these tissue samples from animals with a range of lifespans and body sizes. So we had mice and rats that just live a couple of years, And then we had some other species with much longer lifespans looking within mammals. So we had naked mole rats, which are just the size of a mouse or a rat, 
But unlike a mouse or a rat, they live for about 30 years and they almost never get cancer. And then we also had species like the giraffe, obviously much larger, uh, cows, dogs, cats, species with different lifespans, different body sizes. And what we did was we took these tissue samples. We used a process called laser capture microdissection to isolate out tiny little groups of cells from each of these animals. Uh, then we sequenced the DNA and we looked at how many mutations those animals are accumulating every year. And when we did this, what we found was that there's an inverse correlation between a species lifespan and its mutation rate. So a species like a mouse was accumulating about 800 mutations a year in one of its cells, whereas humans who live about 80 years were accumulating only about 40 mutations a year. So it does seem that animals with longer lifespans have evolved superior mechanisms of genome maintenance. They're just better at protecting their DNA from mutations. And this could partially explain how larger, longer-lived species are able to protect themselves from cancer better than shorter-lived species. Now, mice rats and naked mole rats are all about the same size. So why is it that the naked mole rats live so much longer? The reason that we think that we see this difference is because some species have evolved to just have these longer lifespans. They reproduce at a later age. And natural selection is very good at keeping animals alive until they reproduce. But after that, natural selection has less ability to protect us from diseases. That's why we see in humans a lot of kind of increase in these age-related diseases as we get older. So species that reproduce earlier, like mice or rats, there's less need for natural selection to protect their genome because they just need to be around for a couple of years to reproduce. So animals that have a slower life history, that grow slower, have evolved ways to ensure that their genome is protected until they reproduce. Can you see what use this could be put to for helping cancer in humans? All we know at the moment is that there is this pattern. And so now the, the challenge and the question is, can we understand what are those mechanisms by which these larger, longer-lived species are able to better protect their DNA? And if we can figure out what those are, then there's the potential of seeing, well, could we adapt those to work in human cells so that our cells are better able to protect our DNA? which should reduce our risk of cancer and could potentially help promote healthy aging. warehouses outside of Madrid, hops grow under LED lights and close supervision. The growers say this method could be the best way to future-proof these ingredients which are now threatened by climate change. Hops are used to make the world's most popular alcoholic beverage, beer. Spain's Econoki is seeking a solution and says it's on a mission to save the world's ale. The company's cultivating the water-intensive vines indoors through renewable-powered hydroponic systems. CEO Inis Sagario says this method uses 95% less water than outdoor farming. And our objective is to be able to grow these indoor facilities all over the world, anywhere where there may be a, a brewer, or a pharma or a cosmetic company that is worried about their supply chain and about uh, the sustainability of the ingredients that they use in their production. Hops are traditionally grown in temperate climates like parts of Germany and northwestern United States, but research shows that more frequent droughts and plagues due to global warming are driving down both yields and quality by as much as a fifth. Our greatest challenge, uh, as with anybody that's working with indoor farming, is the use of energy. In our case, since the beginning, we've only been using renewable energy. Um, and as such, that's, that's our main focus. We're never going to be using fossil fuels. And our challenge is to make sure that we can get renewable energy at a reasonable price, at a price that's somewhat similar to the cost of uh, producing it in renewable matters. 
Ikenoke's next step is to upscale production from the current several dozen plants to 400. Their end game is to set up indoor plantations all across the globe. Still to come on the Sunday 7, ASMR's soothing effects and revealing new information about the woolly mammoth. Right after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. Instagram, TikTok and YouTube in order to elicit this tingling response. But we still don't know much about why it happens. <clears throat> I'll talk normally now. Nick Davis wrote one of the first papers about ASMR and in conversation with Wired, he explained what we do know about the phenomenon. According to Nick, ASMR is a mix of biological, psychological and cultural responses. There are definitely physiological responses in people's bodies when they view ASMR. So your heart rate will slow, your uh, skin electrical responses change. So something is happening in your body, but that's presumably triggered by some kind of psychological state. So you associate eating noodles or watching people wrap presents with some kind of psychological state of comfort or calmness. And so those two things are, are related. We don't know exactly how, and I think that's uh, what we need we as scientists need to explore a bit further. So what do people find so comforting about these sounds? If we take the example of mouth sounds, so the sounds of people eating, when do you ever hear somebody's mouth sounds? Well, you only really hear it when you're very close to them. So if you imagine a young child being cradled by its mother, who's eating maybe a piece of toast, uh, that's the sort of time when, when that child would experience another person's mouth sounds. So if we think of mouth sounds as a trigger for that sense of being comforted and warm, then, then that sort of makes sense. Whilst you might not have experienced the ASMR tingles, Nick thinks that it's a largely universal experience. I think it is possible that not everyone feels it, but I suspect that it is universal across uh, all people. I think it's uh, a sensation that's um, associated with um, a sort of warm, pleasurable sensation. And I suspect when you describe that sensation to, to people, they say, oh yeah, I get that from a haircut, or uh, I get that from listening to a boring conversation. So when people talk about ASMR, they are all talking about the same phenomenon. And there could be an evolutionary reason for this. ASMR is very much related to comfort and security and the sort of feelings that 
you have as a child that you really get from a probably a maternal bond. All primates, pretty much, uh, have a close pair bond with their parents, and quite a lot of animals across the animal kingdom also do that. So I wonder if ASMR is a very universal sensation that is created during parental bonding. It prompts questions, and I think that's what I like about it. As a psychologist, I, I'm curious about what people think, and as a neuroscientist, I want to know what their brain is up to. So for me, it's a way of uh, exploring some sensations that have not really been looked at. this next one under things you didn't know you didn't really need to know. A new study's revealed a surprising new fact about woolly mammoths. According to the largest ever genetic study of the animal, Ice Age's woolly mammoths had dry earwax, reduced body odour, small ears and frizzy hair. Am I a woolly mammoth? Uh, researchers analysed the genomes of 23 woolly mammoths based on remains preserved in Siberian permafrost. The main uh, thing we wanted to do with this was to identify which genes that are unique or which gene variants that are uniquely evolved in the woolly mammoth. Most mammoths went extinct about 10,000 years ago. And this study shows that 92% of unique mutations already existed at the outset of the species. Mammoths had a mutation in a gene that in humans is associated with having dry earwax and less smelly BO. This gene, uh, ABCC11, uh, it's a well-known gene in, in human genetics, uh, and it it, uh, it has two variants. Uh, the, the sort of wild-type variant is uh, gives you wet earwax and uh, smelly armpits, and then there is a mutation. So there's a variant of that gene that is more common in Eastern Asia, where uh, you get dry earwax and, and you have less body odor. Uh, and there is no reason to believe that that uh, woolly mammoths were actually sweating in their armpits or anything like that. They probably regulated their temperature in, in different ways. But possibly this protein might have been excreted somewhere uh, through the skin and, and therefore uh, would have in elephants, for example, given them a smell that maybe woolly mammoths didn't have. To a much smaller animal now, the Big Apple's got an even bigger problem. In the city that gave us the pizza rat, there's always been an ongoing battle to get rid of rodents. And well, there's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> <laughs> and with your help, we'll send those rats packing. This week, New York appointed its first ever rat czar. Kathleen Karadi will be in charge of combating the city's growing rat population. Bloodthirsty is not a word you usually see in a job description. And it's certainly not a word I usually describe myself. But I have to say, the rats are ad got my attention. Kathleen's a former teacher who oversaw rat mitigation efforts in the New York City public schools and has been fighting them relentlessly since she was a kid. I was 10 years old, getting signatures on petitions for anti-rat measures in my neighborhood. A 2014 study estimated there were a staggering two million rats in New York alone, one for every four residents. But that is all set to change. You'll be seeing a lot of me and a lot less rats. <laughs> This has been The Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend.
produced and published by Daft Doris.